Well, I think there's no time like the present. So uh, thank you everybody for joining us and the September version of the uh, monthly Watchtower Threat Hunting Report and webinar. We're gonna discuss what we hunted for throughout the last month, what we saw were the most prevalent threats, what we saw was uh, the biggest shifts to the cyber threat landscape. So uh, today we've got myself, Brian Hussey, VP of Threat Services at Sentinel One, Drea London-Petter uh, from our uh, Senior Director of our DFER team, and Naranjan Jayanad, who leads our uh, research group within the, the Watchtower hunting team. So uh, definitely an array of, of good people, I think, to share some of our findings. <clears throat> uh, I will say this, uh, the, usually by the time we do this webinar, we already have the, the written document, the report already published. We're still a few days out on that because um, we're just, we wanna make it look sure it looks pretty and has all the right design features. Uh, so that's currently in process. So expect to see that, uh, a link for that within, within a week, certainly, hopefully shorter than that. Early next week is when uh, we hope to have that. So uh, be ready, a uh, lot of detail. It's probably 140 pages. And I don't know that everybody's gonna read the thing uh, covered a, <laughs> from the top to the bottom, but definitely look through it and find things that are relevant to your industry. There's a deep dive we do into the pharmaceutical industry this month. There's uh, other attacks that uh, are leveraged specifically against certain vulnerabilities that may or may not exist within your environment, uh, but everything is very applicable, very real time, real threats happening now. Uh, we have a, a vast array of uh, deep visibility and Yara queries to help you hunt on your own if you want to. For our own customers, we've already done that hunting. So uh, a lot going on and a lot of, of great threat intelligence uh, that is up to the minute uh, on what's happening right now. <clears throat> so with that said, let's kick off. Um, and this actually, let me skip a slide. Yeah, I did skip a slide. Um, this is just kind of an opening. So one of the things we did this month was really take a look and say, what are the most prevalent threats that we've seen in the last 60 days. I mean, we see thousands of threats attempting to target uh, target us, target our customers every single uh, every single week. Uh, but what was uh, it, sometimes it's nice to be able to focus in and prioritize and see what's most important, what we're seeing most. So uh, this is this is what we pulled out here from the ransomware perspective. Uh, we saw Conti. Conti was a huge, so this is the last 60 days, and about a month ago, Conti was huge. Uh, it is still one of the most prevalent uh, threat actors from a ransomware perspective out there, and we see them again and again and again. They were a primary um, element uh, of last month's Watchtower report, so please dig that up if you'd like to know more on Conti. Lockbit 2.0, uh, another big one, lots of stories. Dre is going to talk about that one with us here in this webinar. Uh, Revil, interesting as well. We're talking about that. It went away post Kaseya, but it's kind of coming back now. So some interesting storylines there. And then Babuk, which has just been around for quite a while and continues to be a pretty strong player in the ransomware market. From an exploit perspective, we saw a couple of different. There's the, uh, and we talk in depth this month about the Confluence CVE 2021-26084. Uh, uh, anybody using Confluence should be aware of this, should be should have already patched it. It is, it is weaponized. It is very active in the wild right now. We're seeing it again and again and again. So, of course, Sentinel-1 does protect against such exploits, but uh, you still want to make sure you get those patches in. Also, a zero-day MSHTML, zero-day uh, <clears throat> came out since it allows full remote code 
uh, arbitrary execution. Another CVE came out here just recently that we cover it in the Watchtower report this month. So that we saw was both active and heavily targeted. Solar marker rat, we see that again and again and again. This um, is still very active. Uh, so I definitely be aware of that. And it's, it's relatively sophisticated uh, as far as malware goes. So keep, in, keep that in mind. From a just general attack framework perspective, like um, kind of the droppers, the infection vectors are able to, um, you know, they're designed to get in and then bring additional types of malware. Um, and these, again, this, this is something you need to be aware of is this is that first entry point into your network. Hopefully not into your network, but that's what it's designed to be. Uh, Hansiter, Iced ID, we've talked about both uh, heavily in our Watchtower reports in recent months. Zloader, we talked about this month. Sock Golish has been heavily seen and then Mosaic Loader as well. So all things we've covered. And that's what we's, uh, that was the top threats really from the last 60 days. Uh, the next thing I wanted to kick us off with is just a quick chat on operational intelligence. <clears throat> and I mean, this is something that I've, I've talked about before, um, but it really does bring a great advantage. And it's something everybody, even smaller organizations should be thinking about. If you're running your own security, if you have a SOC, if you have a SIM, if you have other, uh, other devices creating any kind of alerts, it's not just a matter of stopping each and every attack. It's a matter of observing all of these attacks from a wider perspective and being able to identify trends and being able to identify new attacks and new exploits as they're hitting the, the, uh, the, the wild and then being able to launch, launch hunting based on that. And that's what we do. Um, Sentinel-1 being on tens of millions of endpoints gives us, out, gives us outstanding telemetry. So even if you don't have that telemetry, operational threat intelligence formulating on your own, and then hopefully adding others as well uh, from their point of view, kind of that, that crowdsourcing of threat intelligence is very, I think, important to your security, overall security approach. Now, um, just an example of why, what kind of sets the, the vigilance, the Sentinel-1 operational intelligence apart. Uh, this is something that uh, you may have seen coming out of the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, uh, coming from the FBI, this is in September, early September, right? And they were mentioning all of the different active ransomware trends we're seeing. Conti, PISA, Lockbit, Ransom EXX, uh, Zeppelin, uh, in Crisis. All of these are, by the way, uh, have been reported on. And this came out in September. In August, we had already reported on. And, by the, and, and in May as well. So we're finding these trends from our observation of attacks in the wild, that's operational intelligence. And then taking, curating that operational intelligence and launching, launching it into real attacks. So by being able to do that, being able to identify this, these attacks puts us a step ahead of a lot of the security community um, because we're seeing it in real time. We're not waiting for somebody else to report it. And when you see it in these reports, that means we've already done a deep dive investigation. We've already identified it, done a deep dive investigation done hunting for our customers and reported on it in, our, in, uh, in the monthly reports. So that's just uh, another good use case on why we uh, definitely employ operational intelligence and why we think that uh, anybody running their own security should be having that similar approach of, of observing the attacks in the wild and translating that into curated intelligence and finally hunting uh, and additional protection measures as well. And that also helps you to prioritize your vulnerability management, your patching, all of those things, right? If you know what's really happening in the threat landscape, that helps you run a more efficient security operation. 
So that's my introduction. It's time to dive into the real threats that we saw. And uh, Drea is going to talk to us about Lockbit 2.0. Thanks, Brian. Hey, everybody. Nice to uh, spend some virtual time together again this month. Um, so Lockbit's an interesting topic. Um, obviously, they made some pretty big news this month when they announced that um, that they basically compromised Accenture. Um, they threatened to leak their, their data. One of the, I guess, sort of interesting things about that whole extortion was they only gave Accenture four hours for the ransom to be paid. So definitely kind of forcing their hand there on making quick decisions. Um, but the, the reports um, that we've read and, and, and researched said the attacker stole about six terabytes of confidential information um, and the ransomware payment was um, $50 million. Um, and, and I think that came out to be somewhere like 2,500 compromised commu uh, computers that belong not only to their employees, but some of their partners. Obviously, the implication there being that um, their customer information could have been compromised and then used to essentially compromise those customers, right? So it has that um, uh, downhill effect. Uh, so there's a Lockbit 2.0 representative. His name is Lockbit Sup. Um, he did a pretty interesting interview this month with a Russian open source intelligence um, researcher. And a lot of really interesting things came out of, out of that. But I think when I first read the, obviously the English translation of that interview, the first half of it really just felt very much like um, that, that this guy was doing like a corporate earnings call. He was talking about, you know, how they've performed recently what economic and social conditions have impacted their recent performance? What are their key differentiators? How are they recruiting talent? What's your short and long-term roadmap? Um, you know, let's talk about your product enhancements. And so it just really felt like it kind of continued to draw that comparison between these affiliate and, and, and gang, you know, organizations and how they can compare to a traditional corporate um, enterprise model. Uh, some of the interesting questions that came from that. So, you know, one of the, one of the questions was, you know, how how would you suggest a company um, protect themselves from from um, the likes of you, you know, basically? And and his answer was, you know, employ a full time red team, regularly update and patch your software, maintain uh, security awareness of for social engineering, invest five to ten percent of your cor corporate budget into to cybersecurity. And as soon as I read that, I thought, well, that's funny because I'm pretty sure. You know, I don't know if it was, you know, Gartner, one of the other um, resource or organizations had almost exactly that same statement in, in you know, what their 2020, 2021 security initiatives to look like. So, again, just really drawing that line into traditional corporate and enterprise model. Um, but there were some other things that came out of that that interview that I think talk a little bit about the mindset, but also um, kind of how these business models are starting to, to form up. Um, there was a question around, hey, why are you guys taking um, you know, these multiple different currencies that maybe some of your peer um, ransomware gangs are not taking? And the answer that they gave was basically the affiliates are working directly with their, what, what they refer to as clients, but are, are actually targets, obviously. And they're getting paid directly and then paying, um, uh, you know, the, the gang back 20%, which is kind of backwards from what we traditionally see. Um, usually the affiliates get, you know, a cut of whatever and it's, and it's 
quite a bit less substantial. Um, they also talked a little bit about Kaseya and how that might impact the future of, of, of ransomware. And, and he went into quite a bit of detail, honestly, about how that model um, works so well and that he anticipates um, more of that sort of attack in the future. I mean, I think supply chain type attacks make a lot of sense in, in that model. So that may or may not be actually indicative of, of something that they've currently got planned or that they're working on. But at the end of the day, it's certainly not surprising to hear. Um, so uh, a couple of the other things, like I said, that, that speak a little to their mindset. Um, and I found this kind of interesting. I think Brian and I are going to get into some of this in our Q&A, but just to kind of set that up. He was asked if he would if he could turn back time if he would be doing the same things he's doing now and his answer was um of course not i sleep very badly at night money can't buy happiness and that's kind of strange right we think that these folks are just so monetarily focused um, that it's really driving their day-to-day -day activities but again um the socioeconomic areas where where they're living um you know kind of breeds that and by, by design um, and then the other question I think that feeds into that is how would you briefly describe your life's plan? And his response was the one of self-realization. You should do the things that you can do the best because you need to realize your pet potential. Um, this is a basic necessity for every human. And so that speaks a little bit, I think, to this mindset of, um, you know, self-pride and essentially taking opportunities to, um, to do what they do best and, and essentially be paid what they think they're worth for that. So I don't want to get in, you know, I circle the drain on the, on the, the mental states here uh, of these folks, but I do think it is interesting from time to time to, to, uh, to look into that a little bit deeper. So um, if you can go ahead and go to the next slide, Brian. So uh, this is kind of an interesting slide. Um, as a part of Lockbit 2.0, I don't want to call, I don't want to call it a transformation, but they have put essentially put out a new product, uh, the 2.0 version of their of their product, and in essentially marketing that, they've created these comparisons, these product comparisons for both the encryption um, payloads or, or product that they put forth, and also um, their their exfiltrator, their steel bit exfiltrator. And so I know that it's kind of a lot of text here, but but you can see Lockbit's speeds compared to all the likes of a lot of, of other uh, ransomware actors that we're familiar with, um, Revol, Conti, et cetera. And, and they certainly do, if, this, if you can believe this comparison chart, exceed capabilities to, to these other peers. And I think part of this is for the, you know, the purpose would be maybe for recruiting excellent talent. I think there's a little just self-pride there. I don't, I don't necessarily know, but it is interesting uh, nonetheless. And of course, Again, drawing that kind of that, that that comparison to corporate America, you know, here's some of our Sentinel One comparison charts, right? We we do the same thing, um, comparing our product to our competitors, and essentially what are our differentiators. So, um, marketing tactics are are pretty interesting there. You can go to the next slide, Brian. Okay, so some of the technical details um, we've had a few investigations this month for Steelbit, or for, sorry, for Lockbit 2.0. Um, and those investigations revealed a pretty similar attack chain in, in almost all cases. Uh, initial attack vector via RDP with known accounts, um, phishing emails, uh, defense mechanisms that we see consistently, PC Hunter, Process Hacker, lots of batch 
scripts, um, disabling AV. Um, we've seen exfiltration uh, with WinSCP and obviously with the built-in steel bit capabilities. Um, and in almost every case, we've seen persistence uh, via scheduled tasks and GPO. So again, um, at least based on our investigations from this month, uh, the, uh, the chain looks pretty similar in every case. Um, so we, we saw a recurring use of, of two custom data exfiltrator tools, and they're really just versions of the steel bit tool that, that they put out. Um, we've already built in Yara and reverse engineering notes. Um, so if you get the TLP Amber version of the Watchtower report, you're gonna have access to those. But a little bit of detail from the reversal of those samples. Um, so target file extensions are hard-coded in the data section, which is not uncommon. Um, and then that list is used by the malware, um, basically to recursively enumerate files of interest. Um, and then that, you know, with the intention of exfiltrating what, what they choose. Um, a list of logical drives is acquired. Each is then enumerated for files of interest. They go back and, and measure next to a whitelist. So you got like the whitelist um, there in the bottom left corner. They check the file names, and if all, all of those things pass, the file is then uploaded and exfiltrated. You can actually see the output of the remote C2s that were stolen there. The packets are crafted to upload data uh, to one of those hard-coded IPs. It's actually uploaded in clear text via HTTP put method, so you've got a little example of that there on the bottom right, um, and, uh, and, and that's not actually encrypted. So that's just a little bit of detail there for your own hunting purposes. Um, and that's Lockbit 2.0. Thanks so much, Drea. And I apologize. We had some slide issues. I think my uh, computer skipped over your first slide. I'm still, I'm kind of having some uh, slide changing issues now. Oh, there it goes. Well, um, first slide was here and I apologize that, that the crowd didn't even get to see it. Um, but it does show the different <clears throat> sectors targeted. And that screenshot there is from the... Uh, from that interview we're talking about, which I find fascinating. So, I mean, why would, well, and it kind of goes back to, I mean, I really like that comparison you made is the, uh, as far as the corporate earnings call. And it comes back, I think, to a theme that we often discuss uh, when, when, we, when we really dive into cyber criminal underground, uh, the sophistication of the threat actors and the, 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 the service level, we've talked before about like their open help desk, their um, feature requests. I mean, it's, it's their service is, is in many ways equivalent to a, a modern, relatively well-organized company or corporation. And um, anything we make the comparison is like, to an earnings call. I found that super interesting. Why would he do it? Why would he, uh, why would this lock bit sub expose himself like this in front of the world to talk about his his feelings his company his successes um why do you think somebody would do that when they're quietly making millions upon millions of dollars yeah i think that i mean it's impossible to know but i guess if i were to you know to to, to take a guess and and just based on reading his answers because there were so many more interesting questions and answers in that interview than than what we discussed he, he has an enormous sense of pride in what he's a part of. And, and you can tell that based on almost all of the answers that he gave. So I think that plays into a, a little bit. There's also, you know, the fact that they're trying to recruit excellent talent. And, and we all know as, you know, corporate employees that 
brand recognition is is part of that process, right? When you're when you're considering new employment opportunities, brand recognition is always going to play a, a role in that. So I'd say maybe those are the two most motivating factors. But again, I, I, these these folks seem to be very complex people. I'm sure there's a lot that plays into it. Yeah, I, I sometimes liken it to this kind of Robin Hood syndrome, where it seems like they want to, a lot of these threat actors, not all of them, but a lot of them, they almost psychologically, and again, I'm a psychologist, so it's far be it from me, but just as a general conversation topic, um, it almost seems like they want to put themselves in, well, in the best possible light, and we all do, right? We all want to look at our lives as as beneficial and not necessarily harming society. I mean, it brings me back to one of my uh, one of my favorite stories. When I was with the FBI, I used to travel around training uh, cyber crime investigators from all over the world. And I was in the Ukraine in the middle of winter. Uh, long story there. I'll share the details some other time. But um, actually, I met some cyber criminals that were making millions of dollars. I was there training the police, but I actually got to meet some of them. And they were just young guys that 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 were smart, got through college, and didn't uh, they didn't have any Basically, if they would have gone into a legitimate job, they'd be making next to nothing, thousands of dollars a year. Or they go into the cyber criminal, which is relatively anonymous, and they're making millions of dollars a year. And so, I mean, they're, they're you know, kind of ex-students, some rather bookish and smart, not like you're, we talk about the mafia, and I think the, the, the violent, whenever there's billions and billions of dollars in a, in a criminal trade, there is certainly... Um, uh, the mafioso type of presence with with violence and things that comes with that kind of money, but a lot of these operators, you know, they're not <laughs> they're they're like kids out of school who happen to be really good with computers and chose a different path. And I'm sure there's a a challenge trying to settle that in your mind when you don't see yourself as a bad guy, but you made this choice, you know. And and you, so I mean, I think that's maybe part of the reason we see so many at least making the claim. We will not attack schools, we will not attack hospitals, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And they try to almost make this claim that they're there to improve security. They're there to do the security world a favor um, by, by ensuring appropriate investment in security. Um, but it's just an, it is an interesting psychological view the closer you get to the cyber criminal underground. Definitely. Yeah. And, 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 you know, in the interview he does, he goes into a lot of detail about not only, Hey, it's, it's our perspective. We won't target hospital schools, you know, any, any sort of, uh, social organizations. Um, but he also goes so far as to say, cause I think there was a question along the lines of how, how do you view your, your competitors in this space or these other, other groups? And, uh, the first thing is essentially we have negative views of them if they aren't considerate of these things. So almost to your point, yes, yeah, stating, hey, we're not we're not trying to be bad guys. We're trying to be considerate of our communities. We're trying to be considerate of anything that I think the words he used were something like um, something along the lines of of you know continuing the, the the presence of life on the planet um so so you're, you're right i think that's that definitely plays a part of this and it's interesting to to consider and frankly to hear um so. yeah really interesting and by the way i love this chart too and i love how you i love how you put this on the side right with uh an actual legitimate comparison with real companies um being sentinel one 
um, but uh, versus <laughs> one of our top competitors and we show all of our advantages and you see the same thing coming from from the criminal uh, sector from Lockbit. They're showing they're proud of what they've done. Um, I just I think it's super interesting. What do you think their motivations are on, on releasing this, you know, showing themselves against every other? You know, what is this? This is speed of encryption. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, megabytes per second time spent on encryption for 100 gigabytes for 10 terabytes does it set, spread laterally it's based, they're they're showing we're the best of the best the fastest um with the most capabilities it's yeah, yeah. I, I think it goes right back to brand recognition right the, the more brand recognition they have in this space the better talent they're going to recruit and frankly the more fear they're going to in, you know, put in, in, into the hearts of their their targets. One of the first things that any of our victims do when we have a client come in that's been hit with ransomware is start to research their threat actor. And the more terrifying that situation is for you, the more likely you were probably going to be to concede. So I think that there's some there that brand recognition hits in several ways, but that's exactly what I see here. And you again compared to, to products that we use every single day. This is one of the primary marketing techniques that we use and they clearly can tell that that works. You know, it's fascinating. I, I could talk about this all day with you, but I wanna get to Niranjan um, where we're gonna talk about the pharmaceutical review uh, and, and what we saw hitting the pharmaceutical sector, both in the last month, but also pretty much over a, a, a bit longer period of time as well. So the floor is yours, Niranjan. Thank you, Brian. So if we look into uh, threats targeting pharmaceutical sector alone, it's just a numerous list of uh, wide variety of threats that have been reported in the past and what we are seeing currently. So uh, in the recent months, we have seen a lot of COVID theme related uh, phishing emails and rats using uh, COVID themes and images on various governments and vaccination centers, uh, you know, dealing with all sorts of problems. So we'll step back and see like what uh, CISA and other federal organizations have reported about cyber attacks hitting pharmaceutical companies in the past. Uh, that's a joint advisory and alert shared by CISA and uh, NCSE, uh, where they did mention that there were a couple of APT groups that they identified and some other research companies and researchers identified targeting healthcare and pharmaceutical companies uh, around uh, 2020. And to the bottom right corner, you could see like some of the top pharmaceutical companies were also being hit way back, right from 2016 to 2019 by one of the so sophisticated remote administration tool and multiple groups known to have used this particular rat, which we'll discuss in the upcoming slides uh, in much more details. And the most recent one that we identified was one of the ransomware group quite popularly called as Black, Black Matter Ransomware hitting one of the um, pharmaceutical company softwares, which is quite commonly used across the globe. And they have leaked some sensitive uh, data and files from this particular organization just a couple of days back. So we thought of putting that in this particular slide. Uh, next slide, please, Brian. So speaking of uh, ransomware susceptibility index, uh, there has been reports saying like, uh, you know, ransomware groups have always shared great interest uh, to target pharmaceutical uh, companies for various reasons. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, in just a couple of minutes. As threat hunters, we also monitor different underground forums to understand uh, you know, 
what are the different criminals talking about and what are the different datas that they have already got access to and uh, what we learned was like they never restricted their uh, hands onto a specific geo location they were just behind pharmaceutical companies across the globe and these are some of the images from different forums that we were able to collect from past few years or months uh, you could see like they go behind um, domain admin access they go behind vpn and network access of uh, pharmaceutical companies and just about anything and we thought to put up a uh, heat map just to show like what are the ma major countries where some of the major pharmaceutical companies were hit most of the times and uh, we saw uh, us and some european countries and india being a top targeted by a various number of uh, cyber criminal group over the past few years and we'll touch base on these details in the upcoming slides so uh, a recent report suggested like two chinese hackers were arrested because they were found guilty of conducting several intrusion attacks against pharmaceutical companies in the past uh, we primarily focused on two cyber criminal groups for this month's report because uh, there have been just numerous attacks and uh, tools that we were able to identify over the period of time but we did hunt across our customer base based on the knowledge that we collected over the past few years and in the recent times on these tools and conducted a uh, vigilance wide threat hunting program and we didn't identify any traces of these uh, attack vectors fortunately but we decided to just focus on two famous groups one is fin4 and another one is winnti winnti is uh, you know there's a debate on this particular rat initially it was operating as a group but then the rat was shared among multiple groups and multiple groups started using this particular rat due to which it was getting very difficult to attribute and it's also considered as one of the most complex uh, rats to reverse engineer uh, their code uh, but our tlp amber report has got some insights about this particular rat and we were able to uh, deobfuscate the configuration file and we must say that uh, you know the beauty of this particular rat is the attackers actually use the company name in their config uh, file just so that they could track back the infected host something like uh, company a name was mentioned in their config file so every time the rat was infecting their machine in, in company a and when it pings back to the attacker they were able to track track back like uh, which organization was being hit by that particular rat binary fin4 a financially motivated uh, group uh, mostly into cyber crime space mostly uh, this group was uh, targeting around 13 or 14 pharmaceutical companies majorly located in us mexico and germany and they were primarily using uh, macro embedded office document files and reviewing the embedded macro revealed information where they had a code snippet something like call upload post with username password and the company name so you could see like on every successful information infection uh, using this macro embedded document uh, the malware would report back with a post message with username password of that particular machine with the company name again so we found this to be kind of similar similar uh, in terms of attack or attack technique perspective but they are no way related so considering the complexities of these two particular groups particularly win and pi which is not uh, very much active in the last couple of months at least there's one report that came up uh, in the last couple of days we are still reviewing if it's correctly attributed but winnti 
targeting pharmaceutical companies is not being seen, at least in the recent times, fortunately. But researchers around the globe were able to develop some uh, NMAP scripts specifically for WinNTI to identify the handshake uh, happening between an infected machine and uh, attacker C2 IPs, which are already sinkholed by various researchers. And if an infected machine gets, uh, you know, if a machine gets infected with any of these rats, they would be redirected to a web page with this message that you see on the bottom right corner saying like WinNTI scan host, and you would see that particular host, uh, particular string uh, on your screen. Uh, this is just to ensure that, uh, you know, researchers around the globe are kind of aware of different threats hitting pharmaceutical companies. And we are also keeping a close track of how these threats are evolving over the period of time. And uh, we'll talk more about, um, you know, why exactly pharmaceutical companies are targeted over the last few years. I know, Brian, that is one of your key interest of question that you might have in your mind, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'd say, well, what, I mean, great, great report. It's always, yeah, I think, very good to hear and understand um, individual industries and sectors and how they're being targeted and why they're being targeted. I think pharmaceutical industry is fascinating. Um, I think it's very important, no matter what industry you're in, to examine, self-reflect, know yourself as far as your own threat profile. And what I mean when I say your, your cyber threat profile is who is likely to be targeting you? What are they likely to be targeting? Um, what is your risk profile like? And that allows you to take that next step of cybersecurity and risk mitigation and understanding the impact of potential attacks, the likelihood of potential attacks. And when you, you have that, that uh, algorithm in place, you're able to start applying true risk mitigation and applying budget considerations, all of that. So I think that's always really important. In some industries like retail, you got to, they're going to be going after credit card. Of course, ransomware targets everywhere, right? But uh, so beware of that. But um, retail, credit cards can be targeted, right? Of course. Um, if you're, uh, you know, cyber criminal types, if you're maybe in the, the DOD sector or, or research and design, you know, development of weapons kind of things, expect nation states are going to be targeting you for that research. Uh, they want to get that to their country first. Uh, if you're in even political areas or things like that, uh, you may be targeted by hacktivists trying to deface websites, right, make their statements. There's all these different types of threat actors out there that we can taxonomize and, and, and to understand the, the, the threat industry, threat landscape. But there's a few unlucky <laughs> organizations yeah. that literally are targeted by everything in pharmaceutical Absolutely right. They're a huge target. Yeah. They have money, so a huge target for ransomware, cyber criminals. Um, they have all you know. They put billions of dollars into research and development for new medicines. That's a target for nation states, right? Just like you talked about with with COVID research, and they want to get the vaccine out to their country first, like that with any new drug for cancer or anything, right? If they can be first to market, they're making the money on the back of another company's billions of dollars of, of research. And by the way, what about animal testing? Things like that. This is a primary reason that um, hacktivists may target them. So pharmaceutical is one of those interesting industries that literally their threat landscape is nonstop. Everybody's going after them. So I, I guess knowing that and being cognizant of that, Narendran, what, what, what do you think, um, 
how should that affect a CISO's view? Uh, if, you, if you're the CISO of a, of a pharmaceutical organization, knowing these, these threat actors are targeting you, how will that impact your approach to your security? It would definitely be uh, scary days almost every day of the month. So basically uh, what we are seeing and is being reported in the past are like, you know, there have been three nation state actors um, known to have targeted research or COVID vaccine research units. Um, two of them believed to be of Russian origin and one, uh, sorry, two of them believed to be of North Korean origin and one believed to be of Russian origin targeting uh, primarily those research centers that are that were developing COVID vaccines uh, and drugs few months back. Uh, they used a combination of password spraying, brute force login attempts and spear phishing heavily uh, when they were doing it. So considering the methods that they have deployed to target these um, pharmaceutical companies or research centers, uh, you know, with the current working model of people working remotely and it was always the same for most of the companies where data were you know, available at different centers. Uh, it just gave more attack surface uh, for the attackers to just hit about anything, uh, considering that pharmaceutical companies do have a lot of legacy systems where updating softwares or identifying vulnerable machines is always difficult, just like in many other critical infrastructure environment. Uh, as a CISO, tracking them with the help of your security analyst team is definitely difficult because uh, disruption of any of this critical infrastructure would lead to delay in uh, delivering drugs or it would be chaotic. So there is always this huge fear of not letting your infrastructure disrupt at any cost. And attackers really know that because pharmaceutical industries are definitely trying their best to serve people in this uh, pandemic situation and other times as well. And they know this for certain that if they hit any of this pharmaceutical company, they might tend to pay up huge ransom amount or uh, you know, if any of this data is getting leaked, uh, these companies would face a lot of trouble in terms of compliance and regulatory reporting that might result in huge fines. So, you know, it's always there. That fear would always be there. And uh, I have one more example that I can tell you. So one of the leading pharmaceutical company in one of the South Asian country, uh, as soon as they got clearance, for trying out a clinical trial of Russia's Sputnik uh, vaccine, they were instantly hit by a cyber attack. And it was a very targeted attack and it adds to your point, Brian. So there are eyes watching around these pharmaceutical companies on any kind of trials or innovations that they are trying to do almost, almost every day. And uh, you know they're always on the radar of this cyber attack group. So as a CISO or being a CISO for pharmaceutical company and trying to keep their network secure is definitely one of the toughest jobs, I would say, where it's uh, it's a game between brand value, keeping your data safe and uh, not letting attackers getting into an organization. So, that, so it's a risky, um, you know, fight against cyber attack, attackers almost every day. That's my point. Absolutely. And I mean, the one thing I would add to that, I mean, you focused on how a CISO should approach security. And, and improve their overall security, knowing that all these threat actors are targeting them. And that's one important part of the CISO's job. But another important part is money, budget, yeah. right? You can go after, and, and knowing this threat profile and having these examples of successful attacks within the industry, within their competitors, and being able to take that to the board, 
uh, to justify an increased security spend, I think is very important, right? Because, um, you know, if you make ice cream, maybe you only need to spend 5% of your budget on, on security. If you, uh, if you're in kind of a, a mid-level risk tolerance type organization, nothing against ice cream makers, by the way, I love ice cream. Uh, but <laughs> if you are in a, you know, kind of a, kind of your, your risk tolerance is in that mid-level, like maybe a more of a, um, a retailer or something like that, maybe 10% of your security, your budgets on security. But if you are in a very high risk industry, like the pharmaceutical sector, maybe that pushes it up to 15% and you've got the examples and real life uh, situations of, of who and when and how you're being targeted that can help uh, get those approvals for the increased budget to make sure you at least come with the right weapons in hand, like Sentinel One, for example, uh, to to carry out this this battle basically that you fight every day. True. Yep. Nice. All right. Well, great conversation, um, Drea. Revil is back in the news. It's back in action. What does this mean to us? Well, I think you're on mute, Drea. Yep, I was. You're right. Um, so it's interesting because, you know, we've everybody was talking when the reroll group kind of went silent. Um, you know, well, was this law enforcement uh, intervention? Was it something else? Did they just sort of go quiet? Because I think, you know, there were some suggestions of Caseo may have been a lot more noisy than they expected. It did kind of go a little bit sideways. Um and I think what we're seeing right now is it appears that, that they just maybe took a summer vacation, what their reasons were are obviously unknown, but they are back and active. So they're, the sites that, that Revil used um, went, went quiet or went dark um, after the Kaseya incident in July. But then on September 7th, um, there were some reports that those servers came back online, followed by September 8th, a new representative registered an underground forum known as exploit in or exploit in i'm not sure they they created an account with the name Revol. uh so again conversations that kind of spawned from this reintroduction of them into the the forums and the uh, um, conversations suggested that they just wanted to take a break there's sort of a, a funny conversation there that one of the the folks had about, hey, yeah, you know, we should all take a break. So not not unwrong, especially after what they did to those of us in the security field after the Kaseya incident. I think we all needed a break, but but they are back and they are active. Uh, there's some some questions back and forth in the industry or in the community about you know, whether or not it's the same you know threat group, which I think there's plenty of evidence to suggest it is one of the most compelling pieces of, of that evidence. There's actually a, a victim from early July, or sorry, late June, who had their data exfiltrated by Revil. Revil went dark, came back, and actually leaked their data then here just this month. So sucks, sucks for those folks, for sure. They may have thought that they were in the clear, but uh, it, that suggests obviously same threat actor. It also suggests that they had data access to their data during that downtime, or at least they recovered access to their data after the downtime. So maybe that implies that that, that the law enforcement intervention wasn't wasn't a part. We you know we certainly don't know. If you can go to the next slide for me, Brian. These are just a couple of the configurations. So we looked at 
payloads before and after the you know, quote unquote shutdown, there's a lot of similarities in the code. There's a couple little differences that can be used to, to identify before and after. The infamous Black Lives Matter registry key was removed. Uh, the Donald or the D Trump forever string that was identified in the in the binary previously has been removed. Um, and then I think we looked at the JSON configuration post decryption, and there there had been a list of domains in there, but there that's no longer the case. So this is just sort of a side by side comparison of a couple of those those highlighted items. But otherwise, yeah, they seem to be back and active, and we'll see how that plays out over the next couple of months. So, uh, yeah, uh, interesting. And, and you would have signed Revolt as well on my list earlier of the top threats in the last 60 days, especially within the last few weeks, because they did. Everything seemed to go away after, after Kaseya. And we never, we didn't really know, was this a law enforcement activity like the, um, like the uh, oh man, why am I spacing? Dark side takedown. Um, or was this a, were they just literally trying to, you know, Kasey was so big, they tried to get under the radar and just lay low for a while, or as they claim, was it truly a vacation? I mean, you know, we speculated on that. We didn't really know the answer. Not sure we still do, um, <clears throat> but, but it is interesting to see them come back with such a flurry. It's like, it was, uh, just quiet. And then, and then when they, when they came back, it was massive spike all over the place. And like you said, even, publishing um publishing exfiltrated data from a previous attack before their vacations when they walked off they're like i'm out going to the beach and come back it's like getting back to normal operations it, it it's interesting super interesting but but i guess i mean there is a debate you know maybe another threat actor wanted to just uh basically take their name so they you know take their fame and, and these guys really were shut down. Uh, so, you know, there's in the security community, there's still kind of some back and forth, like, is this really Revil? So what what makes you think it, it is or is not, basically? Yeah, I think the evidence is pretty compelling that it's the same folks. I think it's possible there was an organizational shakeup. I don't honestly know. Um, but between, obviously, the evidence of the published data from before uh, to after, looking at the side-by-side -side of the binaries and, and how they're so similar. I think that that all of those things together are pretty strong indicators of the, of the same group. But again, we don't know how that group looks today if it looks the same or different. Uh, but, but again, you know, after Kaseya, things got really noisy and, and they may have just decided to, to quiet down for a minute and get some of the heat off their back. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, uh, we thought we got rid of them and you know, like a, I don't know, like a bad rash. It just comes back. So <laughs> great. <laughs> um, Niranjan, tell me about Red Delta APT. Hi, Brian. So uh, can you please move to the next slide, Brian? So this particular APT group, oh, yeah. This particular APT group is quite known to be active actively targeting South Asian countries, uh, mostly Philippines, Vietnam, and Myanmar. Their targets include some government offices and so on. So uh, the known ways by which they normally infect an endpoint is either through a phishing email or they would uh, compromise a legitimate website associated with the 
victim organization and conduct a watering hole attack serving uh, a malicious payload. And uh, there have been references to malicious Google Docs links where uh, users would be redirected to a third-party website and a RAR SFX archive is known to have dropped on few machines in the past. One of the common traits that we have identified used by this particular Red Delta group um, is DLL sideloading or uh, DLL hijacking, search order hijacking technique. Uh, and two most common payloads, uh, final payloads observed are uh, COBOL strike and PlugX. And uh, so what really happened was like a few days back, we identified one machine uh, making an outbound connection to a known C2 IP attributed to uh, Red Delta APD group. Customer had detect detect setting on his machine, thereby the sample was getting executed, but he was being alerted as well since the outbound connection was uh, blocked. So we looked into the sample and uh, we knew about the traits which are quite commonly used by Red Delta. So as soon as we identified this malicious IP attributed to Red Delta, we suspected uh, um, presence of few other files on the endpoint and we knew PlugX is one of their hot favorites and we knew that PlugX normally runs through DLL side loading where we'll have a binning file or a clean uh, executable and you will have a malicious DLL in the same folder. So uh, when the EXE looks for its supporting DLL, it would normally search for the current directory, but in this case, you'll have the malicious file in that current directory, which would get loads loaded into the memory and then it gets decrypted at memory level. Uh, you know, after stealing all the victim machine details, it sends out um, the stolen information to the C2IP and that's how uh, PlugX works. So we knew about this tactics. So when we had the IP, we looked for additional files on the particular machine and we were able to identify some of the files uh, by the name, you know, cefhelper.exe, which was actually a sample copy of um, avastsvc.exe. So that that is another trait of um, Red Delta where they would use file names impersonating some antivirus softwares. So we knew that uh, we identified a benign file which does not belong to the user for sure. Uh, but now that we found a benign file, we, we had to look for the malicious DLL and we knew that it would be there in the same folder and we were able to identify the DLL and we extracted the config and towards the right, you would see how the config file looks like. So config file would have IP, mutex name, sleep uh, value and the folder name. And you can see the folder name matches with the uh, folder that was present on the uh, you know, user's machine. And it all matched to the known um, TTPs of Red Delta APT group. And we were uh, quick to respond back to the customer saying like they are safe because no outbound uh, connection was made. We advised the customer to change the setting from detect, detect to protect so that, you know, uh, threats would get blocked at a very initial stage and the, the agent would not let malicious files execute at all. So uh, this particular topic gave us hint that the group is kind of active and it's still hitting the South Asian countries. There was a report from ESET and Avast, I believe, a few months back on this particular group also. So it all matched with the time frame of their activities and we had some uh, DB queries developed, added to our uh, TLP Amber version of the report and it's there and please reach out to us if you want more information. So 
all details have been included in depth in our TLP Amber report for Red Delta IPD group. Great. Yeah, no, thank you, Narendran. And yes, generally having just detect on any uh, any security software, not a good idea. I mean, for some reasons I can understand in some situations, but I'd rather see some attention spent to the exclusions to make sure you have the right operability and you can have a good, fast business operations without reducing your, your security portfolio. So that's always a, a, a recommendation we make in such situations. I did have one question just because I don't know the answer. Um, I hope I don't catch you off guard, but okay. we're seeing them pose in, are, are they just files named by an, named antivirus or are they legitimately antivirus uh, programs that have been weaponized with this, with this attack as well? No, they are legitimate signed binaries of uh, antivirus products, but they are all older versions of the software, not the most recent one. But the malicious file, DLL files are dropped in that particular same folder so that, you know, when they get executed, the malicious DLL gets loaded into the memory. So it is intentionally done by the actors. And since it's digitally signed, you know, some of the products would let the file get executed. So it's very well programmed, but it's a well-known attack technique for quite some time. And speaking of Red Delta, they they have been using the same trick over a, over a few years now. And uh, I don't know why they are not really shifting their techniques, but it's actually an added advantage for us so that we can quickly identify and attribute the attack. Another common trait that they have been using for quite some time is some of the C2 domains that they use for quite some time now, uh, they have been impersonating news or media channels of that particular re region. For example, if they infect a machine in Vietnam, uh, the C2 domain would impersonate a Vietnam media or news portal. So, it, you know, everything is kind of similar. They haven't shifted their gears over the last few months. So it's easy for us to detect and attribute this particular group. So known, but still pretty, pretty sophisticated and uh, and just does a good job of hiding. I mean, a great hiding as a legitimate antivirus program um, is, is a great way to to launch your malicious DLLs. And then hiding as the uh, a, a, a customized local to the to wherever it's attacking their media, like like a CNN for or some or whatever for for a local um, country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hiding in plain sight. And it's it is smart. So we're running low on time, uh, but Dre, I probably we just is our last one. We always this always happens. We have so much to talk about. Pack it into an hour as a challenge. But um, Dre, can you talk to us a bit about the uh, Porpix malware campaign? Sure. So traditionally, Porpix um, is kind of known for extortion, spamming, minor type stuff. They've stepped up their game a bit and and really kind of diving headfirst into a malware as a service model, working with affiliates starting to do, you know, deploy a lot of exfiltration and ransomware type tooling. So you, you can see the list there, but Avidon, not bit ransomware, grand crab, uh, this, this sort of stuff that we're, we're starting to see them play around with. You can see a little map at the top there that looks, that's a, actually thieved from a, a research blog, but it shows the global distribution of this botnet activity globally. And it's clearly very, very prolific. Uh, if you can go ahead and go to the next slide for me. The, the source code for, for 4VX was leaked towards the end of August. If you actually see above, there's a post 
from the developer, or at least an actor, presumably the developer, is trying to sell the code. And he goes into all sorts of details about its functionalities, how it's effective. Again, really kind of selling his product. We learned based on um, actually doing our own, you know, reversing of the, the binary that, that we were able to build a behavioral indicator for a specific file name, wnmgr.txt. Uh, so we actually queried for that file uh, on VirusTotal and it returned 982 samples. Uh, so it's clearly, again, very prolific and, and been around for quite some time. Uh, so one of our vigilance MDR analysts actually picked up signals from 4PX in our anti-exploitation engine. Uh, we reviewed that timeline to see, um, you know, how it how it behaves, and it, it, you know, obviously we blocked it. So since we blocked it, you know, further infection was sort of stopped at the endpoint. But we were able to to determine that persistence is achieved uh, by recreating a run entry. Uh, and, and I think the only other thing that's kind of interesting, that the same hash has been reported in several target attacks from the past. So again, uh, at least in that regard, it's not really evolving much. Uh, it seems to be pretty easy to identify. Nice. All right. Thank you, Drea. Um, well, we are out of time. So sorry, Naranjan. We, we, we put together a really good ransomware roundup of um, half a dozen different very active ransomware threat actors. Um, and we wanted to talk about a couple, BlackBite and Everest, but as, as it is, we're running out of time. So uh, please talk to, well, we read the report. Um, it will be out very, very soon. Uh, and I'm gonna have to, I think, cut right now. Um, so uh, yeah, there's Everest and BlackBite. I'm sorry, Naranjan, but I'm gonna have to cut uh -huh. it off now so we can stay within our time. Thank you very much for everybody for joining us. And have a great rest of your rest of your day, rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next month.